Welcome back to the prolific Not Perfect podcast with me, Nicole Bremner. And this is the podcast where together with my guests, I share with you ideas on how to be prolific and not perfect and how to build that life full of passion and fulfillment that you've always wanted. I'm so glad you can join us. Please do check out my other podcasts around the topics of investing, entrepreneurship, property and many other topics, which can all be found at NicoleBremner.com. I'm delighted today to be joined by Edward Benyon, who's the property man- manager of Benyon Estates, which is a, a family owned and a family run property company in the De Beauvoir area of Hackney. Edward, thank you very much for joining me. My pleasure. And I live in De Beauvoir. I've lived there for about 10 years. So uh, everyone in the De Beauvoir area knows Edward Benyon because of the the legacy, really, of his family who started the estate. Is that right? Back in how long ago? So the de Beauvoir family came over from Guernsey in 1640 and bought a farm, uh, which is now de Beauvoir town. And the de Beauvoir family and the Benyon family married in about 1730. And when the last de Beauvoir died, Peter de Beauvoir, who would have lived in your house because he was the rector of de Beauvoir. Wow. Um, he was also the rector of Downham in Essex. And he died in 1821. And it, he left it to his next of kin, who was my great-great-great-great-uncle. That's the very short answer. See, this, this is what fascinated me when I heard you years ago presenting about the de Beauvoir and the history of de Beauvoir. Is there, there, there can't be many families who can directly recall uh, the formation of a property company back to the 1600s. I know, I'm sure it's very rare. And... Uh, uh, and we're very lucky, and it's, it's you know, I mean, there are so many things that have happened over the years. I mean, for instance, Peter de Beauvoir, who died, I just said, died in 1821, for my great-great-great-great-uncle to be his next of kin, about 30 or 40 people had to die. because It was the fact that he had no offspring, because he died, and he died at the age of 88, um, meant the, 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 that it came to, to, to us. So, you know, there's so many things that could have happened. Um, my my great-great-great-great-uncle wasn't um, liked by Peter de Beauvoir, but, and he was called Richard Benyon, and he had two brothers, Edward and Charles, and Peter really liked them. Um, but they were both killed in the Napoleonic Wars. If they hadn't been killed, it would have probably been left to them, not... You know, not so there are so, many, there are so many things that could have happened that didn't or did happen that could, you know, so it, there's so many things that, that have, have gone so on. So yeah, Exactly. Yeah. This is all very Downton Abbey. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, it is fascinating. And what I, I loved seeing in your presentation was that was the plans. They had really grand plans for the de Beauvoir town area. So that goes back there. So, um, uh, stop me if I'm banging on about the history too much because I can go on about no, it a long time. No, it's fascinating. Um, so, uh, before um, uh, Peter de Beauvoir died, he let the estate, the farm, 150-acre farm, to a man called William Rhodes, who was Cecil Rhodes' grandfather. And the Rhodes family were very sort of entrepreneurial farmers. They had much lands around uh, Hackney and Islington and King's Cross, <laughs> which always makes me laugh. Um, and they had a lease over this farm from Peter de Beauvoir, and they actually dug an awful lot of um, clay out of it to build the bricks to build the canal. Um, but as the canal came through, you know, development in those days, just like it does now, follows infrastructure. And of course, the big infrastructure in those days were the canals. And that's really when this part of North London started um, to become uh, developable. And um, 
William Rhodes managed to sign a building lease in March 1821 with Peter de Beauvoir. And then Peter de Beauvoir died in the September 1821, six months later. And he left it to Richard Bennion. It wasn't until about five years later, four or five years later, that Richard Bennion woke up to the fact that the rent in this building lease was far too low. So he challenged it. And it was a very complicated, very public court case that went all the way to the House of Lords and wasn't settled until the mid-1830s. Um, and, and in fact, um, Richard Bennion actually started building the Beauvoir. He started building his building in 1839. That's but right. But prior to that, the, the plan that, that William Rhodes had for de Beauvoir Town was much grander than, than, than the one it is now. There were five de Beauvoir squares. That's, and at the moment, there there is just, just the, the one, one isn't yeah. there? So mm. it didn't go across to Albion Square across no. the road. It was no. just in that area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, so my house, I, I have a, a dated picture of 1844 for my house. So Your house was built in 1841. Well, it, it, it was, I think it was built at the same time as the church. The church was built in 1841 by an architect called Lochner which now the estate on the east side of Dubovra Square is named after. And I suspect very strongly that your house was built at the same, by the same architect at the same time. So fast forward 100 and what, 150 odd years, and you now are a direct descendant of the unliked Richard Bennion, yes. <laughs> and uh, you're left with a number of properties. Uh, how many do you own in the area? And, and so just under 400 now. Under 400, okay. And that's obviously scaled back a lot over the years. Yeah, so over the years, there's every every possible thing could have a, 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 that could have a go at the uh, portfolio has had. So you've had... Um, you know, you've had the, the fortunes of Hackney have gone down and gone back up again. So that's that's changed um, a number of things. You've had um, bomb damage. You've had leasehold reform. You've had compulsory purchase. Um, uh, you know, there is just everything that could, um, death duties um, would be a major, major um, part to play in it. So all those things have had a part to play in it. Um, but the great news is that, that, that you know, um, we've actually retained... Um, you know, sufficient critical mass to make to, to make a difference. And actually, when you look at it um, now, it would be it would be weird and probably wrong to own the whole of somewhere like De Beauvoir Town, which you know, in in the uh, up until probably eight, eight, sorry, up until the nineteen thirties, we probably owned every single freehold in De Beauvoir. Incredible, and that was just gradually sold off over time. Well, sold off or compulsory purchased or bombed or whatever, you know. So, you know, there's all sorts of things that, 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 that meant that it was, that we, we lost ownership of it. But as I say, I think, you know, if you look back, it, it, it's, it's completely fine and it's right that that, that, that that should have happened. You know, it's like yeah. if you look at leasehold reform, I don't agree with the way leasehold reform has been brought about, but it needed to be brought about. But the whole of London pretty much was built on a leasehold structure. That's right. And it, what I find just... It absolutely blows my mind is that you're considered an experienced property professional if you've got, say, maybe 10, 20 years of experience and knowledge to, to, to build upon. But you're sitting here not just with your own years of experience, but with with decades and centuries of experience and talking about things that, such as death duty reform and leasehold reform. These are things that don't even uh, people with my level of experience, what, eight years, nine years in property, don't think about. But you've got all these trends and these cycles that you can now uh, call upon when you're making decisions. And we do. And it makes some decisions very complicated. 
I'm sure it does, yeah. So it looks like it, it's an, it can, from from an outsider, you know, other people in De Beauvoir looking in can can look like the old swan, can't it? You know, sort of looking very peacefully on the water. Mm. But actually underneath, there's a lot of peddling going on because of paddling going on because... Um, you know, there's so many complicated decisions to make. I'm not trying to say, I'm not saying, you know, I don't, I'm not looking for sympathy. No. <laughs> but <laughs> but what, I, what I'm saying is, you know, that they, because of the longevity of the business and the hopeful future longevity of the business, that those sort of decisions aren't made easily and, and, and lightly. Yeah, because this is a family business and it has been a family business for centuries and and clearly you want to continue to keep that within the family as much as possible. So, yeah, these decisions need to be made uh, as you say, not lightly, and and with that longevity of the company, uh, of the yeah, as of the company and the properties on which it's formed, in place. So, in light of of current uh, economic conditions, what is it that you're doing differently, and how is your experience shaping the decisions you're making now? So, I think that the sort of the long term attitude we have towards the business has enabled us to do things which um, are a, a sort of a shorter-term trader-developer-type um, company might not be able to do. And I think the classic case is the de Beauvoir block. Um, you know, if you were a trader-developer, you probably wouldn't have done that. Um, Take us through what the de Beauvoir block is. So the de Beauvoir block is a refurbishment and extension of three Ed, early Edwardian um, Stunning. warehouse Probably buildings is, yeah. on de Beauvoir Road. Um, we've finished up with about 35,000 square feet. There were three buildings, 92, 94, 96 de Beauvoir Road. And we refurbished the existing into um, very um, minimalistic you know, all surface-mounted services. We've kept all the original features, the crittle windows, uh, the pitch pine floor. Everything is everything is, is, is as original as we can possibly make it. But we turned it into... Um, oh, sorry, um, we also extended... We got a planning commission for another floor, and the extra floor we built what we call pods. I don't know what um, people call it these days, but we, we call them pods. They're about just over 300 square feet. And they have communal loos and communal... Um, kitchen and what have you so that they get a unit the tenants and they get a unit which is completely office so they can fill it as as, as as much as they like and they're incredibly popular and they're on the, they're on the roof so we've and what we've done is we we started off by building an office building that was going to be split into a number of units and we've ended up that has evolved into a, a sort of creative hub um, and we now have, we, we created a cafe in there. You can you can join the De Beauvoir block as a member, uh, as a single per- person business, and just go in and into the cafe and enjoy the supervised ball band and hire the meeting room, what have you. Or you can go to the next door and have a dedicated desk for a bit more money. Or then you know hopefully you expand and you go into one of the pods at three hundred square feet, and then and then the floor plates go right up to two and a half thousand square feet. And so and, and and so we've now got just over we've got about four hundred fifty people working in the building. Um, and so there is a great feeling of, of, of this sort of, as I say, this creative hub mm, and the business is in that uh, community, exactly, creative. Community. And do you manage that yourself? Yes, we might can manage it, so okay. absolutely. Um, so we have full-time receptionists on site. We, you know, we have, uh, we operate in partnership with um, uh, the tenant. We operate the CAF. Uh, sorry, we don't operate the CAF. The tenant operates the CAF, but we do sure. it very much as a partnership type arrangement. Um, and... Uh, 
And so far, you know, the feedback from the tenants working in the building is that um, it's very positive. But we knew that to create that hub, we had to develop this extra floor, which at the time, the rents weren't enough to create an investment um, yield strong enough. Um, but we did it because we had the long-term view in our sites. And we also wanted to create, we worked very hard for a long time to get these buildings taken out of PD rights. We've, we've, we've done all sorts of things to keep it and try and make it um, the commercial hub of De Beauvoir, which it didn't, De Beauvoir didn't have. And we wanted mm. this stretch to be that. And now it is. And so we were putting our money where our mouth is. And the fact is, in actual fact, that, that you know, rents and, and returns have, have been sufficient to, to say you would have done it as a trader developer. But at the time when we were planning it, you wouldn't have done it. And that's why, um, you know, there's one very clear example. Another clear example is the secondary school. Yes, on the, that's the old uh, fire station on the corner of Kingsland and Dunham. Well, the far the fire station is actually the one we're developing at the moment, which is that's the primary school. Oh, you mean the one across the road exactly. from that? Exactly. Yes. Exactly. So I got planning permission to build thirty five flats and fifteen thousand square foot of commercial on that, and it was a scheme done by the same architects as the block and the, and both schools, Henley Hellbrown. and they de- they they we got planning permission for uh, they designed and we got planning permission for my dream scheme. I felt that once I'd built that scheme, I could um, die happy. <laughs> um, it was absolutely brilliant. But um, then the, um, the, the, the this local team of parents got permission from the Department of Education to create a free school. And um, they came to me for a site. And we had two choices. We either had to say yes or no. And if we said no, then De Beauvoir, there was no other site in De Beauvoir, that's the point. At the time, there was no other site in Dubova. So um, if we had said no, they couldn't have had that site, then um, Dubova would never have had a secondary school. Oh, isn't it terrible that, having a social conscience? Well, <laughs> well no, because I mean, at, no. at the end of the day, you know, I'm not saying we didn't do a commercial deal, because we did. Um, and I would be lying if we didn't, if I said we didn't, but we, we did. But the point was, it's, it's all, it all comes back with, with an with a attitude of longevity in something like this, in a small part, when you work in just one small square mile of southwest Hackney, is that, and we, we don't own enough of it to, to be able to placemake, as, as placemaking can, can be sometimes defined. But what we can do is we can make a difference. So whether it's the neighbourhood centre on Southgate Road, whether it is creating a commercial centre in the in De Bova Road and De Bova Block, whether it's creating schools, you know, we've, we've built a secondary school, we're now building a primary school and we're just, in, just about to go for planning for a nursery school. So whether it be education, whether it be, and, you know, whether it be just trying to create the best contemporary living in period property, whatever, whatever it may be, we have the ability and we have the kind of duty, really, to do that. That's right, and especially we're going back to that that long term focus that other developers uh, don't have the the luxury or or don't feel you have that. And yeah, definitely in the area there is a massive shortage of of school places. And I'm going through the school process for my 11 year old, 10 year old at the moment, and it's really really difficult. And especially when he was going through primary, there were just there were no options for me at that time. I wasn't even in a catchment zone in yeah. De Beauvoir at that yeah. time. And now there, there is, that, there is the, the new school uh, that you uh, helped to put together and now and the secondary school and now the primary school. And, uh, yeah, so that's the fire station, the old fire station site. That must have been quite a, a politically challenging site to, to get through, was it? 
Yes, it was, because there was an awful lot of people opposed to the um, fire station being closed in the first place. But so. that wasn't your decision? No, no, absolutely exactly. not. So that's, no. I think that's the, the yeah, point yeah. here, is that absolutely. people can jump up and down about that political decision, but it wasn't your decision. That was, that was done. Yeah. That was done. And also what was not my decision was the Department of Education buying the site of the fire department. OK, sure. That was, that yeah. was done. That was nothing to do with me. Um, but um, once that was done, then there were um, obvious reasons why we would be the right partner for um, the, the DOV to try and not only develop and procure the primary school, but also to create some added uses on the site that would hopefully reduce the cost of the primary school. Sure, and by that you mean the residential? Exactly. Yeah. So we've got 68 flats going on above. 68. Yeah, and then there's some retail going on the, on the Kings and Road frontage there. And you've made incredible progress. That seems to have just shot up. <laughs> I know, that, that went up by a floor every 10 days. It was extraordinary. Every time yeah. you turn around, there was another floor in it. Yeah, it is incredible because I live very close by and yeah. so uh, I obviously watch it very closely as I walk to and from. But, yeah, it's, it's, and they're all sold. Yes. So they're all sold to a firm called uh, Housing... It's not a housing association, sorry. It's a housing uh, charity called Dolphin Living. Living. Um, and they own the New Era, New Era Estate and they're using this to... Um, rehouse some of the um, new era people so that they can redevelop new era and create more affordable housing there. And ultimately, once they've done that, um, I think uh, I think I'm right in saying, and um, um, I apologise, Dolphin, now if I've got this wrong, but I think ultimately, ultimately, ultimately down the road, this will be 50% affordable and 50% um, open market. But that can change. They've got, they've got planning consent for complete open market. But they are... Um, their slogan is that they, they provide affordable working sorry, affordable living for working Londoners. Yeah, and even if it's not 50-50, it's subsidising a development that is uh, affordable. So yes, the reason of them buying it is so that they can build more affordable homes in this part of Hackney. So how they do it, and as I I haven't spoken to them for ages, I don't know what their immediate plans or their long-term plans are, but that ultimately that is what they do, so that is what we will achieve from it. So that's that's very, very good news for de Beauvoir and for this part of Hackney. So it must be fascinating for you in your career because this this isn't what you started out doing, isn't it? Even though it's a family business, you didn't work for the family business. No, that's correct. When did you first start with So I started about 12 or 13 years ago. And so what were you doing before that? So I spent um, from, um, from, I got into property in the sort of early to mid 80s. Um, and I worked for a number of different people um, doing all sorts of aspects of property, really. And I spent some of the time working myself. I've worked for investment houses. I've worked, you know, running real estate departments. I've done all sorts of things. And I, I've, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. And I enjoyed charging around the countryside, putting deals together and um, putting money together and building stuff and what have you. And I've created some things which have um, gone on to be very exciting. What, and I enjoyed it. It was a bit feast and famine, to be fair, but then trade developments, you know, <laughs> you know, that, you know this as well as anybody, yeah. you know. Um, but, um, but it was still exciting. It was still fun. And I'm still very proud of some of the things that I um, have created. What I enjoy here, and what I didn't realise until I did this, I didn't realise that I missed, was that actually being involved in a small area 
and it happens to be London, it doesn't have to be London, but in, being in, in, involved in a lot of property in a small area and really understanding that area, really understanding what, what, what people want, being the go-to person when people want stuff. So, you know, if people want to move to Hackney, sorry, to, to, to Beauvoir, whether they want to buy, rent their home or whether they want to buy, rent their um, workspace, they quite often come to us, and obviously we don't sell, so we can't help there, but we, they quite often come to us, and I'll try and advise where I possibly can. But what that does is it gives us a very clear understanding of what sort of person wants to come, what sort of business wants to come, why do they want to come, what can they afford, what do they want, you know. That's the, that's the bit that I enjoy, and that's the bit you don't have when you're putting deals together in in. in Manchester. Exactly. Yeah, that's right. And, and this was a conversation we had uh, years ago before I think you even conceived of the idea of the block, which was there was such a demand for commercial space within the de Beauvoir area and there was just nothing available. And I think what's happened and from talking to serviced accommodation and serviced office uh, experts, they say that there's this real trend towards people wanting to work where they live. People don't want to commute into city central areas. And clearly that's something that you saw as well. Yes. Um, you know, we before we did the block, we would go down to the basin and, and the canal and go and talk to people in those in those converted units down there. And then one of the things, of course, I noticed straight off was the, the difference in working practice to 20, 30 years ago. I mean, it's turned it's on its head, you know, it's 180 degrees different to what it was in those days. Um, but you're absolutely right um, that, you know, that, that, that people don't want the long commute and, and, and people want flexibility. And I think this is really interesting. This is somewhere which is really different to the residential uh, market is that commercial... The commercial real estate market has not only the working practice of the tenant has changed in 180 degrees, but also the relationship with the landlord and tenant has changed dramatically. You know, in the old days, all you had, as a developer, you, you built your building and then you waited for somebody to come and sign a 25-year lease. Then it became a checkbook check, check, ex, exercise and you'd flog it to the highest um, bit of, whether it be a pension fund or, 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 or an individual. That's changed now because... The commercial tenant is much more empowered. We have we have the, the the longest lease we have in the block is three years. So that's not true. There's one that's ten, but main, they're, they're all all apart from one, ten years. As they're three years, they can give two months' notice at any time. We've taken no deposit. You know, these are real plug and play units, and then we're talking two and a half thousand square feet. We're not talking about a, a, a desk in a the desk, corner of exactly, a WeWork. You know, desking, yeah. and 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 that's. And that, that, that's, it's great for the tenant because, as I say, they're empowered and they feel completely flexible. But actually, from a, from a landlord's point of view, it, you, you know, you've got to be creating something which people want because they could, that lot could clear out of that building tomorrow that's afternoon. Right. They're flexible. They're, they've got complete flexibility. And if you're not providing that service, and it comes back to Anthony Slumbers is an expert on this, what he calls space as a service. And if you're not providing that service, uh, they're going to walk. And that's why I was really curious as to whether you were managing that space or whether you had outsourced the management but uh, yeah, it's all in house, and it must be quite rewarding for you professionally because I'm I'm guessing that 13 years ago you were not involved in serviced offices and you were not involved in Department of Education uh, projects, and now these are things that you've had to really uh, get up to speed on very quickly. Yeah, and it's been fun. It has been a learning curve. You know, there, there's been a um, a number of aspects of it, but that you know that, that those buildings on De Beauvoir Road. They, they, it's not anymore, but it used to be a roundabout on the corner of De Beauvoir yes. and Englefield. And 10, 12 years ago, I was standing on that roundabout and I was looking at these buildings and I was thinking, 
you know, that most of them have got flat roofs. And there's probably a side of about an acre up there. And, you know, you've got to do something if you have a site of an acre in, in, in London. But on the other hand, it's in the heart of de Beauvoir, you know, a beautiful conservation area, which we strive hard to conserve. So what do you do? How do you do it? And it, it's been, from that point to this point, has been a really interesting journey. Yeah, definitely. And it's about, and I think you've, you've done a really good job of, of conserving the area and adding a very sympathetic and yet modern extension to those buildings. The views, I can't wait. I'm coming over in a couple yeah, of weeks yeah. to have a look finally at the development. I can't wait to see the views from that top floor. Yeah, no, it's great. And actually, you know, we had a number of architects look at it and it, it, it just it didn't work for me. The schemes didn't work for me. And Henry Hellbrand, when they produced their scheme, um, it just sort of leapt out the page at me. And the, and, and the thing that well, that I really liked about it was, A, the sort of community they were creating on, on, on the top, but B, what, what they had done was to design something which gave us our added space and our extension on the roof, but didn't detract in any way from the gorgeous, iconic look that those that terrace of buildings have. And as I always say, when I'm, and I'm in a couple of weeks when you come, I'll take you up onto the top floor there and you'll, you'll be able to understand the scale of the extension. But you can walk up and down to Beauvoir Road on a daily basis and you won't notice that. No, you don't. No. And that's that's very clever. I don't even see it from my top floor. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's so well hidden. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it, look, so you've 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 gone now into these sort of sexier areas of serviced offices and uh, the like, and but still, your bread and butter really is the the private rental uh, portfolio that you have of some uh, nearly four hundred properties. So, and I know you're very proud of that, and you're very proud of the the longevity of your tenants as well. And you were just telling me how long's one of your tenants been in place? So we've got um, there's certainly one lady who's late eighties who was born in her house. Oh, incredible! Um, as a lady, um, a wonderful, wonderful lady who has just turned ninety. Um, and I can't remember how long she's been with us, but many, many years. She's she's amazing. She's 90. Her favourite uh, pastime is line dancing. At 90? Yeah. She's really... She's she's, a, she's written a book. She's a truly amazing lady. Um, so, yeah, so we've got some very um, interesting um, tenants. My, my, my absolute fave was a, a man who died a few years ago, sadly. He died at the age of 105, and he lived in 110 Hartford Road, and he had lived there since 1931. Oh, wow. So he would have seen the bombing of de Beauvoir Square. Incredible. Yeah, yeah. He was, he, his stories were incredible. And he, had, he kept his mind absolutely 100% sharp as razors right up until the day oh, he died, 100, 105. Yeah, I know. Wow. And the, the whole PRS or the private rental sector, that whole or private re rental, uh, that whole industries going through massive uh, change right now as it's becoming harder and harder for people to get onto the onto the property ladder. Uh, although as a side, I saw an interesting Daily Mail headline saying that 30% of millennials don't believe they'll ever get on the housing ladder. And then I looked at the home ownership statistics and they're, they're not running it close to 70%. So it's unrealistic for, any, for anyone to think that they're going to, or for everyone to think that they're going to get onto the, the property ladder, unfortunately, as it stands. Although I do believe that it allows you to have a certain mobility, but perhaps this is a, a conversation for another time. Uh, but for you as a, a, a large landlord in an area such as de Beauvoir, what do you think the future is for private rentals? And 
What are you most uh, concerned about, most interested in, most uh, happy to see changed? Well, I think that um, the private rental sector needs to do its bit. Um, and I think a, a lot of the private rental sector does. There obviously, are going to be bad areas of it, but let's not um, dwell on that now. But I think that um, I think there needs to be more radical reform. You know, if you go back in history, um, pre-1989, the tenant had complete power under the old Registered Rent Act. Complete power. Margaret Thatcher came along and took the change of that and introduced the assured shorthold tenancy. And the assured shorthold tenancy gives the tenant no power. So just, just sort of from a holistic overview point of view, you've got, it went from total power to tenant to nil power to tenant, and I believe there is some central ground there. And that central ground, I believe, should be used to um, empower the tenant a bit more, very much like what I was just talking about in the commercial sector. Um, so, for instance, the, um, the government keeps asking us for longer tenancies, and there was this big thing that the government brought out the other day that they were going to introduce three-year tenancies. Well, we've been doing three-year tenancies for years and so have a lot of institutional um, uh, landlords that I know. It suits so, most landlords. Exactly. So, so three years is nothing. What we want, what we want is, is, I believe, what we should be looking at is ten years. Minimum. Um, and the reason is because I think that people should, be, should, should pretty much have the right to educate their children in one borough. Um, and and I think you know if there is an uncertainty within that period, then then there is that that is can be very damaging to the tenants. So so how do you get over that? Well, if you try and legislate for it, it'll 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 just ruin the PRS and all the all the work that there's, uh, the previous governments have done to get investment into into the private rented sector will just dry up. So that won't work. Rent control. I wouldn't mind rent control, but I can tell you again, it'll dry up the the investment. That won't happen. But there are many ways, and I've said this at, at, at political rallies, and I've said this to government ministers of different persuasions. You know, there are many ways in which landlords could be encouraged to provide the longer tenancy. So, for instance, if you if you if you grant somebody a ten year tenancy, a short short tenancy, you immediately value your property. Right. So why are you going to do that? Well, there may because if you're incentivized to do it, then you may well do it. So, for instance, at the moment, if you spend money improving your property to rent out, that improvement is not tax allowable. You're not allowed to reclaim any VAT. You know, it seems to me an absolute travesty that there's a different tax treatment for a house that's built to rent than a house built to, to buy or sell for the open market. So those sort of things could be very neatly um, smoothed off on the basis that you agreed to do at least have your property in the in the in the private rental sector for for ten years, and I'm being really really brief to try and make a point, but there are there are other other um, aspects to this as well, which which you know, all sorts of sort of different incentives. You know, we we for instance um, voluntarily we worked with crisis and we took a family uh, off um, from crisis who were homeless. We took them off the streets. Just as a sort of, as a uh, almost not a pilot because they've done it before, but 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 just to see how it worked um, by taking a family that, that as I say, is, is homeless, putting it into, uh, putting them into a property, making it a home, getting the community involved in providing some um, basic furnishings and what have you, and obviously their rent is paid for by the um, local authority, um, albeit it's slightly less than we would get on the open market. It's worked really well, and this family have gone on to great things. You know, so so there are there are there are so if 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 the government 
is 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 serious about working with the private rented sector. I think there's some really exciting things that we can do, and we can do it, as I say, to empower the tenant more. Um, of course, the one thing that 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 really needs to happen before any of this could could, could come into play is that legislation would have to be changed because the one thing that the tenant needs to do is needs to pay the rent. Yes. Because if it doesn't pay the rent, then it's not just talking about us and us, our sort of size landlord. You know, you've got to think of the the, the single buy to let and what have you. You know, who who could easily get involved in this sort of thing as well. But if they don't pay the rent and they've got a mortgage and everything, the whole thing collapses. So, and spending six months getting a tenant out who doesn't pay their rent is completely wrong, and that must change. Um, and there's no reason why it shouldn't change. And it does seem that this is almost the tale of two type of landlords which even though they're landlords on paper they're entirely different and their views are entirely different and that is the 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 landlord with one or two properties and then the the larger portfolio landlord and while the longer tenancies and that assured nature of those is beneficial for them for the for the smaller landlord who is now impacted by the section 24 changes and perhaps uh, only wants to rent out their property for the next two years while they're abroad or uh, until they can afford to uh, to sell that property or anything like that it it, it is a completely different uh prospect and business case for them and the government's very clearly trying to flush out those smaller landlords uh, to the to the benefit of the larger ones and you can see why there's organization there are systems in place with someone who is a larger portfolio owner compared to often the smaller the smaller landlords and I perhaps there's an argument here for more purpose-built uh, private sector or private rental sector accommodation. Yes, and arguably, that's 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 um, you know we should have a, a se- separate planning policy. You know that actually land should be allocated to the private rented sector. Like in Germany, uh, my yeah. in-laws have lived in the same property for over thirty years. That's rented, mm-hmm. and there there's minimum five-year tenancies available where you even move your own kitchen and bathrooms in yeah. when you move. But isn't isn't Germany? Isn't that like? Isn't that like our old registered rent? Some of it is, but there's, they also have the kind of condo scheme that they've got in New York right. and other cities in the okay. US where you have got these purpose-built rental only. And again, New York's a great example. They've got the old regulated yeah. uh, ones where you never give up your flat because the rent's so great. And then they've got the condos, the condominium schemes where uh, you go in and you cannot buy one of those. Uh, mm. You have to rent one of those and uh, they've got great services. And again, I think... It comes back to the the point that you made before with the office service offices. If you're providing those services to residential, they don't want to leave unless circumstances mean that they need to. Mm. So um, I think all landlords need to professionalise and you're uh, decades ahead of the curve thanks to all your years of experience in that regard. So just um, coming full circle now back into looking at the future, what is in the future now for Benyon Estates? Um. Well, we are um, we're incredibly busy doing what we're doing. We've got a n- number of different schemes on at planning and on site, um, and we've got you know as I said, the build the block is three buildings, and we're currently doing the next one, which is ninety eight, and then and then next year we're hopefully going to do or later on this year we're going to do number hundred. So we've got that going on. We've got the nursery school going on. Where's the nursery school? Nursery school. school um, we're about to submit for that. That is on uh, Southgate Road, just down from my office. Okay. Where, where the um, uh, architectural forum used to be. Oh yes, yeah. yeah. That's like that. um, and then we've got another uh, development to do opposite the primary school where the Labrooks is on the uh, 
corner of Kingsland and Dunham. So we're very busy doing that. Um, and we're also on the on the residential side. We are we've got a number of exciting things happening. Um, we've we've just introduced uh, deposit free tenancies, um, which and again that's another thing which I think is you know absolutely right. This the sort of six week deposit is a real it's, barrier to so many people getting into yeah. the private rental sector. So that's going to change, and we're doing our best to do that. So we're 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 ahead of the game on that. So now um, if uh, you, you you only have to pay a fifteen pounds sorry eighteen pound fee and not instead of a deposit if you want to that option is open we are just about to in about uh two weeks time we are going live on what we are calling the tenant portal so you as a tenant of our residential tenant of ours you'll be able to go onto our website you'll have your own login details and you'll be able to do everything from seeing all the manuals of all the white goods in your property you'll be able to uh, report a fault you'll be able to see your rent account uh, you'll be able to see um, your privacy system you know whatever you're the, 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 I'm trying to think all the can things you, you better see. book a tradesperson uh, to come and yes do you can you yeah. can book a tradesperson to come to repairs you can see all your um, safety certificates whether it be your gas or electrical um, EPC or whatever you'll be able to see all your certificates um, so we're going to go live on that in a couple of weeks time so we are we're very busy trying to you know to, 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 to make uh, the rent, the, the experience of renting property from us, um, even better. So that's where we are at the moment, and we're doing that while we have this backdrop of Brexit and the incredible uncertainty that it Which brings. Is just a blip in time, given your history. Well, it's catastrophic well, <laughs> for, for developers of my uh, uh, maturity, but uh, for your company, the, well, I the, think the thing is, it could be catastrophic. I mean, I. The way the way I the way I see the property market is very simple. Is that, you know you've got your commercial and your residential and 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 uh, people who want value love residential. People who want uh, income love commercial. Very very broad brush approach to it, but that's one way of looking at it. Um, and we like sort of a fifty fifty. But the but the point the point about the residential is that everybody's going to always want somewhere to live. Absolutely. So the rental market will go up and down. Okay, it hasn't gone down much over the last 20 years, but it may do. This Brexit might make it go down. But as long as you're charging an open market rent, you'll be able to rent, and you've got a decent property, you know, properly looked after. And you're after. not over-leveraged. Exactly. You know, you'll be, you'll, well, not that leverage matters. You know, the fact is, if, you, if, you, if you're charging an open market rent for a decent, um, inhabitable uh, residential unit, you'll be able to let it. If the if you really get the sort of doomsday scenario, Armageddon, then your commercial you wouldn't just simply not be able to let. So the the risk in your commercial and portfolio is much greater than 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 that of your your residential. So so actually, when you look at when you look at the 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 the, the uh, uh, risk ratios, actually, you know, it doesn't matter what the size of developer or investor or landlord you are, the risks are huge and and the uh, um um. You know, you know as well as I do what it costs to create these buildings, and as lovely as they are to stand there and look at them and, and see the people enjoying working and living within them, you know, the the the, the amount of money that goes into them is absolutely fast. So the risks are, are, are clear for all to see, and we just don't know what um, this this um, this is going to bring. You know, and you know, we're just sort of sitting there on a knife edge. Yeah, yeah, and I I just think that any decision now is better than this indecision state that we're currently in we're just we're treading water aren't we yeah waiting yeah. for march <laughs> yeah exactly see what happens. I, mean, I think you know you know the the we're going to wake up on the 30th of march and we'll 
we pinch ourselves and oh we're still alive we haven't fallen off that cliff but that's not the point it's a question of where where you know what is it what, what state are we going to be in, the, in on that day and you know what sort of certainty that that all these businesses that like renting our properties what sort of certainty are they going to have and what are they going to be doing how what are their what is their future and how are they looking at their future and are they going to be expanding or or, or you know or not as the case may be absolutely we um as property developers we our fate is uh tied up in those who we serve and uh it all now rests on on brexit i think at the moment or political change well, Edward, I'm really excited to come and see the block in a couple mm-hmm. of weeks' time and just thank you so much for your time coming to talk to me today. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to another edition of the Prolific Not Perfect podcast with me, Nicole Bremner. Please do show us some love, like, comment, share and subscribe all over at nicolebremner.com. And while you're there, subscribe to our newsletter and keep up to date with our latest news and events. Thank you very much.